Way back in 1887, a company drilling for oil along the banks of the Mississippi River near LaGrange, Missouri, made an unexpected discovery. At 400 feet below the surface of the earth, they struck water. At 800 feet, the flow of water became much stronger. And finally, at 850 feet below the surface, the water pressure was so strong the drilling team could not go any further. A 1907 government-sponsored geological survey registered the flow at 60 gallons per minute and noted no perceptible change has ever been noticed in either its volume or force. The drillers were disappointed, downcast, dispirited, crestfallen, because they wanted to secure a fuel source for their local steel mill. Water could not do what oil could do. But when a geologist analyzed the water, they found out it contained potassium, calcium, magnesium, aluminum, sodium, pretty much the periodic table of elements. The liquid that was spurting from the ground was mineral water, and in the late 19th century, it was praised for its medicinal benefits. An enterprising local businessman named C.N. Thomas soon capitalized on their find. He began bottling the water from the LaGrange Artesian Well, and he sold it all over the United States. A local historian noted that Thomas began to market the mineral water as a cure for everything that ails you, from diabetes to stomach disorders. And that was a grossly exaggerated claim, but he sold quickly. The local water department bottled 50 to 90,000 gallons per day, shipping them to Chicago. And today, more than 135 years after the well's discovery, its water continues to flow. Even occasional floods from the nearby Mississippi River have not destroyed the well. Other mineral wells in the area have long since dried up, but local residents still enjoy a nice, cold, clear drink from the LaGrange Artesian Well. A well that never runs dry and is purported to bring life and health to those who drink it? Well, that sounds a little bit like something John described in Revelation 21, verse 6, where Jesus promised to give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. The good news is, the water Jesus offered is available to everybody. You don't even have to come to LaGrange, Missouri to get it. I'll tell you exactly how to get that water right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Hello, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry. I'm your God's Word for Life companion podcast host. That's a big, long title to fit on one business card. And you're listening to the God's Word for Life companion podcast. Today's episode stems from a lesson that was dated November 19th, 2023, entitled Living Water. And for those Bible scholars among us, it comes from John 4. You probably guessed that. John 4, verses 13 through 14. When Jesus had a conversation with a woman, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. That was John 4. Now back in John 3, Jesus had a nighttime meeting with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. 
If anybody should have recognized Jesus as the Messiah, well, it should have been Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. But as their conversation concluded, Nicodemus, he was no closer to recognizing or acknowledging Jesus' identity as deity, which reminds us of what John wrote in the opening chapter of his gospel. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Now we come to John 4. And if there's ever been somebody who really would not get it or should not get it, it was this woman. She was a Samaritan woman who had been married five times and was living with her boyfriend. She didn't have a great deep religious heritage. She she didn't spend all of her life studying the law of Moses. She was part of the Samaritans who were hated because they were half Jew, half Gentile. Samaritans were cultural and religious outsiders. And she had a questionable past, so she's pretty much at the bottom of the Samaritan social ladder, and the Samaritan social ladder was at the bottom of the world's social ladder, so she was the lowest of the low. We would assume that somebody like her, her stature, her status, would have very little interest in anything spiritual. But as her conversation continues, she begins to open up her heart, and Jesus begins to open up her eyes to see him for who he really is. Here's a question. Why do you think the Samaritan woman was more receptive to Jesus' words than Nicodemus was? Now, the meeting opened up with one of the most mundane of requests. Jesus, sitting there on the side of the well, just asked, Hey, could you, could you give me a drink? He was traveling from Judea in the south up to Galilee and the north about a three-day journey. And because of their intense hatred for the Samaritans, most of the Jews would not travel through Samaria, even though that was the quickest way. They would travel out of their way, days out of their way, adding days to their trip so they would not have to traffic through the dirty, filthy area of the Samaritans. Jesus met with the Samaritan woman around the sixth hour, which was around noon since the Jewish day started right around 6 a.m. And of course, noon, no matter where you are in the world, the sun is at its peak. This woman had been living in darkness, but her life was about to be flooded with the light of the love of God and the truth of who Jesus is. Oddly, conversely, Jesus met with Nicodemus at night If in your mind you can see those two conversations, you see hers is flooded with light and Nicodemus's was blanketed with darkness. This woman was taken aback by Jesus' request. I'm sorry, excuse me? You are a Jew, a Jewish man, a Jewish holy man, and you're asking for a drink of water from me, a woman of Samaria? Have Have you not read the paper? Jews don't like us. We have no dealings with you, and you have no dealings with us. It was shocking enough that a Jew would even speak to a Samaritan. But the fact that she was a woman made Jesus' request even doubly surprising. People are still confounded by those who refuse to reflect the biases of the wider world. Onlookers, astounded by the racial and ethnic diversity that characterized the Azusa Street Revival and some of those early Pentecostal revivals, In his book, How Pentecost Came to Los Angeles, Frank Bartleman, who chronicled those early years of Pentecostal revival in the United States, famously noted the color line was washed away in the blood. A lot of Bartleman's contemporaries and colleagues could not quite understand Christians 
who had been drawn together by a thirst for living water and not divided by deeply ingrained societal prejudice. But thank God, they were. They were drawn together, not torn apart. Here's another question very relevant to where we live right now. In what ways does prejudice hinder the spread of the gospel? Now, we live over a century since the Azusa Street outpouring, but there are still divisions and prejudices here in North American culture. It's important now more than ever for the church to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ in every context, celebrate the value of every person, no matter who they are or aren't, no matter where they came from, no matter what ethnicity, no matter what our last names are, no matter the color of our skin. Our world is trapped in this perpetual cycle of fear and hate, and yet we preach a message of a Savior who was not willing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. Through Jesus' church, he is still traveling into Samaria, the Samarias of our world to reach those who have been overlooked or ostracized. He has adopted us into this multi-ethnic, multi-racial movement that is held together by the power of his Spirit. Paul told believers in the pluralistic city of Corinth, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, No matter if we're Jews or Gentiles, bond or free, we have been all made to drink into one spirit. Here's another question. What are some ways you can cross racial, ethnic, or cultural barriers to spread the message of Jesus? The Samaritan woman was incredulous. And Jesus responded to her by saying, If you knew the gift of God, if you knew who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink. Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. John 4, verse 10. Living water, a metaphor for salvation through the power of God's Spirit, is available to everybody who sincerely asks. We can't earn it. It is the gift of God. I could ask of you a drink of this living water, but oh wait, no I can't. You don't even have a water pot. The well is deep. You don't have a water pot. Where are you going to get living water? doesn't make any sense. And Jesus continued, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And finally, she let her guard down a little bit. And she said, Okay, fine. Give me this water. I'm tired of thirsting. I'm tired of traveling that well-worn path from my home to this well to draw water for cooking and cleaning and bathing. I'm tired of having to travel the path. I'm tired of coming here at noon each day when everybody else is away so nobody else makes fun of me and, and ridicules me for the way I've lived my life. Give me this living water. And at this point, the conversation took a very uncomfortable turn as Jesus said, I tell you what, you go call your husband, you come here, and we'll talk. Her face turned crimson. He's never met me. He doesn't know my story. I'll just tell him I have no husband. He'll probably leave it alone. Sir, I have no husband. And Jesus looked right into her soul and said, You're right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now, he's not your husband. He's just your boyfriend. He wasn't trying to shame her for the way she had lived. He was simply telling her, I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know what you've been through. I know what you've done. I know what others have done to you. And I still love you enough to give you living water. 
She was taken aback by this shift in the conversation. She was really taken aback by the fact that Jesus did know about her sordid past. She had only been talking with him for a, a little while, but she recognized, you're not an ordinary man. You must be some kind of a prophet. And once again, it's amazing how we contrast this woman who doesn't have a lot of spiritual pedigree, who recognizes Jesus as not just a man. He's a prophet. He could be a man of God. What if he was more than just a man of God? But Nicodemus sees Jesus as a teacher who has come from God. She had more insight than Nicodemus. Just like Jesus knew the details of this Samaritan's woman past, he knows all about us. Nothing is hidden from him. Hebrews teaches us that neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And that's not to shame us. It's to lead us to repentance. God knows everything you've done, every lie you've told, every time you've cheated, everything you've stolen. He knows it all. And yet here's the wonder. He still loves us. He loves us enough to lead us to repentance. He doesn't want us to just come to the well and take an occasional sip from this fountain of living water. He invites us to be filled with living water. But in order to receive everything God has for us, we have to admit, confess to him our sins and sinful lifestyle. We cannot drink from the cup of self-deception and the well of living water at the same time. We deal with our sins through genuine repentance. What is repentance? Well, that's a question. How would you describe biblical repentance? And why do you think God requires it? And I'll answer that one for us. Biblical repentance literally means a change of mind. It means changing what we have done. Coming to God with sorrow and saying, God, I'm so sorry, would you please forgive me? And then by the grace of God and the Spirit of God, changing the behavior, our lifestyle, our priorities, changing to be more like Jesus. She didn't run from Jesus in shame and disgrace. She ran from him with joy. She left her water pot, which is the whole reason she came to the well. She went back into the city and listened to what she said. She said, come see a man. Come see a man. And some of them were probably high-fiving each other and laughing and said, what is that? Oh, I can't, I've lost count. Are we up to six, seven, eight, nine, ten? How many men has she had in her life? But here's what separated Jesus from every other man she ever met. Come see a man who's told me all things that ever I did. And she did not say it, at least John did not record it, but here's what I really believe she felt. And he still loves me anyways. He knows all about everything I've ever done. And that didn't repel him. It actually attracted him to the fact that I need his mercy. Is not this the Christ, the Messiah, the one we've been looking for? I found him. He's waiting at the well. When she went back into the city, she told everybody she met about the man she met at the well who could tell her everything she had ever done and still loved her enough to minister to her. Her fellow Samaritan citizens were just as thirsty as she was. They came out of the city. They came to him in the middle of the day. They'd been working. They'd been doing schoolwork, taking care of household responsibilities, farming the fields, and yet they found her testimony so compelling that they laid everything aside. They rushed to meet Jesus, and when they met him, they heard this promise of living water. He transformed their lives. John wrote that they told the woman, Now we believe, but not because of thy saying. 
For we have heard him ourselves, and we know indeed this is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Nothing is as powerful as experiencing Jesus firsthand and tasting of the well of living water. With joy, we draw water from the wells of salvation. An entire community was changed, a community that was outcast, that was hated because of one woman's witness. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. And then we read about an amazing revival in Acts chapter 8, where God poured out his spirit on the Samaritans, and likely it all started when a woman at the well met Jesus at the well, and Jesus changed her life forever. Last question. Who can you share your testimony with this week? And how will you go about sharing it? Just like this woman did, into whose life will you run and tell them all about the one you met named Jesus? Okay, we're going to wrap this up. I love the story of the woman at the well. Question. How do you know if someone has run a marathon? Answer. Don't worry. They'll tell you. That old joke alludes to the fact most of us love to talk about our interests, our accomplishments, what we've done with anybody who will listen. Maybe you've noticed the window decals that have the numbers 13.1 for half marathon or 26.2 for full marathon. You can be sure whoever drives that vehicle is passionate about running, and they want the world to know. I saw one the other day that made me laugh. It read 0.0, and in very small print underneath it, it read, I don't run. (laughs) It's not just runners who like to show off, though. You take a look at the windshield of a car in front of you, it's a good place to brag about your family's honor student or all the national parks you've visited or anything else that can be commemorated with a $2.99 decal. When something good happens in our lives, we feel this overwhelming urge to share it with others. You might know somebody who's newly engaged to be married. They probably made it a point to share all that news all over social media. You don't have to ask. They're looking for an opportunity to tell you all about it. They want the world to know they're in love. Now consider this. It's interesting how silent some Christians are about their faith almost as if we don't really consider the good news of the gospel to be good news at all. Some treat their faith like an embarrassing family member or secret. Only those who are closest to us have any idea that we profess the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul was a devout Pharisee headed for Damascus, all to wipe out the Christians in that city, and he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus. And from that point forward, he was like the woman at the well, He made it his mission to tell everybody he met about the one he met on the road to Damascus, the one whose name is Jesus. He made him a minister and a witness, and Paul spent the rest of his life fulfilling that calling. What about us? Are we guarding our faith like it's a state secret? Or are we willing to follow the example of Paul and the Samaritan woman and urge everybody we know, come see a man. Come see a man I met. He changed my life. He wants to change yours. Let us pray for God to help us to be bold witnesses for his name and for those who do not know God to experience this living water. Lord Jesus, we love you. You have been so good to us and have given us this wonderful gospel message to share with the world. Help us to do just that. Help us to tell the world, everyone we meet, about you, Lord, and what you have done in our lives, to testify, to share our story, share our faith. 
I pray today, God, you administer to those who have never tasted this living water, that you would give them that wonderful opportunity and use us in any way you can to help introduce them to you and to this living water so they too can taste and see the Lord. The Lord is so good. We pray all of this and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thank you so much, God's Word for Life listeners. Be sure to click that subscribe button or follow or notify and share. That way you can let others know about God's Word for Life, and they too can be blessed by this God's Word for Life podcast. I hope it's been a blessing and a help to you. Share it with others, and this is a great way to be able to share that living water with other people. Also, head to PentecostalPublishing.com and pick up some wonderful curriculum resources. We have God's Word for Life, children, youth, adult, And each of those children, youth, and adult levels have a lesson guide or leader guide and a devotional guide, a daily devotional way to live out your faith every day, not just on Sunday. All of that is at PentecostalPublishing.com. And if you use promo code GWFL10, you can get 10% off your entire order. Obviously, you're a podcast listener, so check out the Formed Podcast. There are some great interviews on there. It's brand new interviews on there with Katie Collins, Brother Raymond Woodward, and then very soon, Joe Dana Flowers' interview will be on there. Each of those episodes is helping us to train teachers in the local church. So be sure to check out The Formed podcast on Google, Apple, Spotify, and YouTube on our Pentecostal Publishing YouTube channel. Next week, we wrap up our series on Jesus' response to faith with another miracle, another story from John chapter 4, and it is called From Cana to Capernaum. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.